Hey, welcome back. Today's a pretty cool one. We've got Ben on the line from Lucky's Rod Shop. Um, Lucky's are in Canberra, formerly in Sydney. They are one of Australia's top um, custom and hot rod shops. Um, their slogan is whether you want it chopped, dropped or custom shop, Lucky's is your one-stop shop. So that's pretty cool. Um, Ben's a super knowledgeable guy. Um, He's passionate about what he does, so we chat for nearly a good hour, so hope you guys enjoy it, and hopefully we can get Ben back on to discuss some of his builds um, in the future. Cool, here you go. Lucky Ben speaking. Hey Ben, uh, it's Dylan from the podcast, how are you? Hey Dylan, I'm good mate. So we got uh, Lucky's Ben, how are you? I'm very well mate, how's it going? Very good. So, who is Lucky's and who's uh, who's Ben? Uh, I'm just an old motorhead. Um, Lucky's, uh, Lucky's is a hot rod and custom shop um, that I conceptualized when I was 11 um, and didn't know how to create that as a young guy um, entering the workforce. So, I went off and had a career outside the automotive industry, but I did um, automotive engineering at CCAE, and the only, that was here in Canberra, the only um, pathway in the auto, into the automotive industry at the time was through collision repair or fleet maintenance or just general mechanics or, you know, collision repair painting, um, and I only wanted to build customs and hot rods. Um, so I went off and had a career in the building industry, but kept building cars uh, for myself and for my friends. Um, and then in 2004, Lucky's became an actual business entity. Um, and we've been operating in Sydney from that point till 2018 when we moved down here to Canberra and set up shop in Fishwick. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I love your slogan on your on your website. It's whether you want it chopped, dropped, or custom shopped. Lucky's is your one-stop shop. What would you describe the sort of work that you you do? Well, um, we are a, a full-service shop. Um, so most of our uh, work in the shop are full builds. Um, so we'll bring a car in, we'll strip it all the way down, we send it away for acid dip, get it back. Um, do a ton of metal work and, and, and build and incorporate all the uh, mechanical and running gear elements that the client wants to utilize into the car. Um, and then we'll take it all the way through paint, upholstery. Upholstery is an in-house, outhouse type arrangement. Um, we do all the fabrication in-house. We make our interiors out of sheet metal. Um, not building up layers of MDF or foam. Um, and then upholster in-house. I got a couple really good guys who, who come in and, and will thrash on a car with us um, come upholstery time. Uh, we recently finished a Buick Riviera, a 1972 Buick Riviera uh, for a client. And we couldn't find anyone to polish the rear glass. No one would, uh, we took it to a couple supposed experts um, who decided that the 
it was too irreplaceable to risk polishing and it had been stored upside down on its back it was pretty heavily gouged um, and they didn't think they could get a result so we actually brought glass polishing in-house learned how to do it um, and to do it at a high level uh, and get a result so over the years we used to send a lot of stuff out um, but I'm a bit of a perfectionist and a lot of the stuff that went out uh, we ended up redoing in-house anyway so we decided that um, we would try to keep everything that we could do in-house um, and if something is beyond our equipment like I send my engine blocks out for machining but we do all our engine building in-house after that point um, We've recently bought diff building into the into the shop um, with the current climate and, and supply chain issues. Uh, we we're sending diffs away and they were taking forever and getting expensive. And so we brought that in house and we build our own suspensions front and rear. Um, we like to adapt uh, EFI to early mechanical injections. Um, and we're doing that for a Bentley that we have in the shop, not mechanical injection, but, uh, adapting, uh, aftermarket EFI to, uh, what is a production motor? Cause it's getting the W12 out of a late model continental GT twin turbo setup. And for that, we're going to go to Holtec, um, for management. But apart from that, we try to do everything in-house. Um, gives us quality control. Yeah, and uh, how, how big's the crew? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of things in-house. It obviously takes up a lot of time. Do you do you have a large crew there, or you just it takes what it takes? Well, there's there's eight of us on the books, um, including me. Um, two of those are one's permanent part-time and one's part-time. Um, and then I also have a couple of guys. I'm in a car club called Eldorados from South Muckleford in Victoria. And um, some of my club members are exceptional, exceptionally skilled, talented guys. And so if we are thrashing to get a car ready for a show or um, undertaking something new and, and challenging, often I'll get a couple of those guys up involved um, and we have these thrashes where, um, we try to get like a month's worth of work done in a week, um, and take these big leaps in the progress of a car. Um, plus it's a good excuse to get together and we have barbecues here at the shop and it's a pretty fun time. Awesome. So there's. There's about eight guys on the books, and then there's there's other guys floating around here and there. Yeah, like I said, the upholstery guys. I just I have two guys who come in house when we're uh, doing an upholstery job. Um, but like I said, we we do all the fab ourselves, um, and then the, our upholstery guys are soft soft furnishings only. Um, and the guys from El Dorado's. Uh, we have paint specialists and, and mechanical and electrical um, who 
you sort of flesh out the uh, the roster about three or four times a year. Um, but full time in the shop all day, every day. The six of us are the core core of the group. All right, and the building is it a big premises? Like you're doing engine work? Do you have an engine room and a paint room and fabrication and? Uh, yeah, it's divided. The shop is divided. It is a big space. The shop is divided up. I have uh, shipping containers breaking up the space. So every two bays in the shop has a shipping container container on either side for storing the parts that come off the cars that are in those bays. At one far end of the shop is our um, fabrication area, and it's the dirtiest corner of the shop where we're cutting and grinding metal. Um, and the lathe and, and other machining uh, processes happen there, but also all our hand operations, cutting and grinding and uh, welding, typically. So we've got a couple of chassis tables down there. Um, and at the far end of the shop from there is our paint prep area. So we have a paint room, uh, a very nice uh, low-bake booth, um, and a paint preparation area in front of the booth. Um, and then the rest of the shop is broken up into bays. Engine building, typically, we we have um, the bays set up as, as clean areas, trying to limit the cross-ventilation through the shop so we don't get primer dust from one end or, or metal dust from the other. We are currently working towards a mezzanine, um, which will have uh, an engine building clean room uh, and hopefully a... A dyno as well, an engine dyno, um, and some new new facilities uh, going in up there. So we're still continuing to grow, and I'm actually in uh, discussion at the moment with uh, our landlord to take over the factory next door to us as well. Well, which is about half the size of our current space. That's pretty cool. What uh, what current builds do you have on the go in the shop? Um, we're building a 68 Mustang for a gentleman from Sydney, um, kind of a resto mod. The original brief was, was full pro touring, but, um, some of the big ticket items had him a little, uh, gun shy. So we ended up on a design that is, that makes the most of the original, but also improves the performance of the car. Um, it's an exceptionally good starting position, this car. Uh, we got it back from acid dip, and apart from a little front ender it had that had been repaired in the past, the body is almost rust-free. It's incredibly straight. It's the kind of car we like to start with. Unfortunately, we don't usually get them that good. Um, we have a 63 and a half compact Fairlane um, that is just going out the door right now. It's pretty straightforward, uh, 347 Windsor Stroker with a C10 uh, uh, and RRS uh, front clip out of Sydney, uh, nine inch in the back. Um, that was not a full build. The paint on the on the car was uh, good um, and the body sound. Um, so it was just mechanical stuff on that car. Um, I got a 40 Lincoln coupe on the chassis table at the moment um very nice original car except it had some damage in the rear that we're repairing at the moment but we're building 
um, fully removable hydroshock overstock suspension system for it. So we'll get the car as low as we can on the uh, original solid axle setup, the transverse leaf springs. And as soon as we are as low as we can, we're going to put hydroshocks over the top so that we have adjustability and can bring the height of the car back up for utility's sake. Um, but in a way that those systems are fully removable so we don't hurt the, the originality of the car. Um, being a Lincoln, it's it's rare and beautiful, and uh, the owner is a bit of a traditionalist. Um, so that that's a fun little design engineering project that we're doing at the moment. And we actually are planning on doing it in a larger scale and a smaller scale, so that we can also use it on early Ford stuff. Um, what else we got in there? There's a 72 F100. Um, that was pretty much a straight tidy up resto slash toughen it up a little bit sort of brief, but has now come full circle to show truck. Um, Cleveland, uh, it's getting a turbo 700 actually, um, that we're adapting, uh, nine inch in the back triangulated three link, which is our preferred rear suspension. Um, we're building five trucks for one gentleman who has five kids. Uh, so 48 to 47 to 54 uh, model GM products. So we've got mostly Chevrolets, mostly 3100s, but a couple 1420s, five window pickups that we're building full tilt show cars out of um, for all five kids. So <laughs> That's a lucky family. We're, yeah, no kidding. He's a good dad. Um, we're building the silhouette of the truck um, consistently across all five builds, and the, the platform will be the same. They're all getting big block Chevys, um, but different paint schemes, different uh, interior treatments, um, a lot of cosmetic differences that are non-structural. But the structural stuff, it's afforded us to implement some uh, sort of production techniques. So for all the heavily modified, for all the bodywork mods, we've made uh, flexible patterns and bucks so that we can repeat the part five times right side, five times left side. Um, and we're building the chassis table we're building a repeatable jig for to build five five platforms the same and just this week the client has uh, instructed us to look at doing them as a hybrid um so we're looking at electric motors that can be run on a drive shaft where they can be engaged or disengaged and run on the petrol motor um but also run using the same running gear on the electric. So the end goal being that you could potentially drive five, 600 Ks on a full charge, then switch to the gasoline motor, drive another 700 Ks, which then charges your full battery pack and get another five, 600 Ks out of the electric system. So you could drive from Sydney to the red center Nats without stopping. 
with some um, some wild engineering. Well, we're just getting into it. Like I said, this is a this conversation just took place this week, uh, so we're looking at our options. But um, we want both packages to make north of 500 horsepower, um, so that th- there's no point at which the trucks are not high performance. Um, but the problem with a full electric, which we're looking at for some other projects, um, is range. So we're trying to get around that by, by creating a, a hybrid sort of platform. Um, I'll, I'll get back to you once we start nutting that out. Yeah. Um, I'd be interesting to see if you took it down to a quarter mile, what the, what the time difference would be, uh, petrol versus, uh, electric. Well, electric motors do make a ton of torque, so that is, you're right, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of Valiants in the shop, uh, S-Series, getting a 440 horse 360, and another Turbo 700. Um, again, the triangulated three-link in the back, um, fairly stock-bodied uh, build. Uh, we have a VE that has a blown. 360 in it makes about 600 horsepower it's in final paint prep at the moment um what else is in there we got a 60 cadillac uh channeled uh, that lays frame um it's getting a big block we we do like our big blocks around here uh, and it's going to be a full tail dragon lead sled candy apple uh, custom uh just in my mind, I'm walking around the shop. We're back around to the sheet metal area right now, and the, the car that's been getting a lot of interest for us is a 1956 Bentley S1 um, that has had the entire envelope of the car reimagined. Um, the car came to me from the client in fresh paint, um, but the, the motor had uh, died. And so we put contemporary suspension and brakes in it and a big block Chevy uh, with dual carbs and a turbo 700. Um, And we were in final assembly and I had been talking to the client about my artistic vision uh, for the car and what I would have liked to have done with it. And he was not really interpreting what I was saying. So I had an illustration done and uh, Ryan Ford, actually an Eldorado uh, from Victoria did a beautiful illustration for us, but it was still not sort of photorealistic enough to for the client to have that penny drop moment. Anyway, it kind of broke him in the brain. So we, were, we didn't <laughs> progress the car at all for a couple of years because he just sort of froze like a deer in the headlights. And um, I was surfing the internet one day and just stumbled across someone had photoshopped an image um, of a 1950s Bentley that had been chopped and lowered and aesthetically was similar to what I was trying to, to get across to him. And I sent that through to him and I said, this, this is a, it looks like a photograph of what I'm talking about. And it came back immediately. He's like, let's do it. So <laughs> we took the car all the way apart, 
uh, sent the body away for dip. Um, and it came back to us and we chopped the roof and started getting the, the proportions right on the car. Um, but the acid dip had revealed quite a bit of rust that still needed to be addressed. So that had just been painted over in the recent paint job. Anyway, so I was very fortunate for the last few years to have a, a young gentleman named Aiden Hunt on the staff here at Lucky's. And he's a wonderful shaper. Um, and so the, he, he and I started reimagining all the external panels of the car to accommodate the two-door conversion, the chop. Um, but also, because we were doing rust repairs, it afforded us um, the flexibility to go in and push swage lines around and change contours and peak the guards. And we moved the headlights and um, slimmed up the grill and made new bumpers for it. And um, Aiden was very instrumental in, in refining the detail on the car. He, because he was laying hands on the car every day, he had a tremendous amount of uh, design input on the finer details of the car. Uh, and then manifest them out of stacks of flat sheet metal into reality. So the car, we're just working on inner structures um, to accommodate all the new bodywork. Um, and, and then we'll start stitching the whole thing together. But during the, this recent phase of bodywork, we came to the realization that the big block Chevy was maybe not the best choice uh, for a car like that. Um, so that's when we procured the W12 uh, twin turbo motor out of the late model, late model um, Continental GT. So they make 575 in the in the GT, and with we're relocating the turbos, bigger turbos, bigger throttle bodies, um, printing manifolds, both intake and exhaust an oil pan to change the the width of the overall motor so it'll fit in the space that we've already created so you're and, gonna 3d print them and make the casting no no uh inconel print metal printing uh in inconel so we go straight to metal in the printing process all right cool um i mean of course we'll do plastic for trial fit ups initially um but Inconel is is uh, routinely printed for exhaust systems now. Um, so with the bigger turbos and the bigger throttle bodies and the whole tech management, we're hoping for north of 700, but still Bentley power in, in the Bentley. Um, we're using the, the transmission out of the GT as well. We're just eliminating the front, front drive. Um, in the 1956, the motor is well set back from the front axle center line, whereas in the GT, the motor is actually in front of the front wheel center line, and so the front drive comes right off the transmission. Um, so we're not going to try to reutilize that, but it's seven-speed auto, um, so it should drive as well as look pretty. Um, and the intent for the car is actually to debut at Pebble Beach. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the overall aesthetic of the car is 
even though it's changed a lot, it's still meant to honor the original design intent. And we're making wheel caps based on the original wheel caps for the new wheel size. Um, we're reinstalling all the luxury features of the original interior. You know, the bar in the back and the, all the um, vanity mirrors and all that. Um, but we'll do it in a way that's that's a, a little more sinister. The color scheme for the car is black over black over black. Um, and so it'll look like potentially a special order car that was uh, highly customized from Bentley back in the day. Um, and the aesthetics of the motor, because we're printing manifolds, et cetera, we're also doing valve covers that will hide the coil packs and allow for us to run plumbing and electrical inside a sandwich style valve cover. Um, and then all the finishes on the motor will be black enamel, polished brass, and nickel as as per the original motor. So um, we try to keep uh, some of that original design intent intact. So it still looks and presents like a Bentley, except it'll be low and fast and sinister. The uh, black on black should highlight a lot of those nice swages and body lines you guys have put in there as well. Yeah, there's no there's no getting away with anything with black. So um, yeah, uh, that's what we're hoping for. And Aiden, that you touched on, has um, he started his own business now? Are you still collaborating with Aiden on that build? Uh, we are still collaborating. He has opened his own shop, um, Bespoke Coachworks, here in Canberra. It's just around the corner. Um, I was sorry to see him go, but he has design impulses himself that he wants to pursue. And they don't align perfectly with mine. So for him to pursue his dream work, of creating what he has in his head, he has to work directly with clients. So I supported his uh, move to go out on his own because I've had those same impulses my whole life. Um, but we still have a very healthy uh, relationship, and we will—we're about to split the body from the chassis on that Bentley, and we're going to send the body to him uh, to finish off while we adapt the the W12 uh, drive line into the chassis. Um, he's a very talented young man. Yeah, there's no, there's no getting around it. He, uh, he, uh, it's, it's funny because with him working in the shop, I was both incredibly happy to have him there and yet felt incredibly inadequate <laughs> around him. Yeah. Uh, he has a natural skill set, and I think my favorite part is because he's self-taught. No one ever taught him what cannot be done. So he's unshackled in his approach to things, um, which is, yeah, is good. Have you anyway, got... like I said, we'll, we'll have a, a working relationship into the future as, as long as he'll have us. Have you got other metal shapers in house? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of great guys. Um, Clancy McDonald and, and Phil Larkin are both excellent shapers, and they're doing... Uh, custom shaping in the shop at the moment because like I said everything in the shop is a full build and everything in the shop is heavily modified so we it's a constant um, 
theme around here is that we're remassaging and reshaping and changing uh, the way cars look. Um, both these guys actually came via Aiden. They they were part of his uh, sort of network of friends, um, and so Aiden's presence allowed me to find these guys when we moved the, the shop uh, from Sydney. I had a couple guys move relocate with me. Um, but then of course we lost a couple guys in the move, um, and they're doing wonderful work. Um, yeah, so the, the metal shaping, I, I, uh, shape as well. And sometimes it's faster for me to make something than it is to explain what I'm looking for. And on smaller stuff, we typically don't build bucks or, uh, do full design development on smaller stuff. Um, so it's kind of from the hip, um, but then bigger assemblies and stuff, we'll do a full 3D schematic of what, uh, if we need a buck made or uh, whatever. Um, and then we have a, something 3D to build. To. Um, but on a smaller scale, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, make it to fit as, as the design evolves um we do renderings for everything that we're working on but as soon as you go into the 3d world um you have to make changes on the fly um, nothing ever looks 100 percent like the rendering um what you want is to adapt to the, the car the truck um, as it is in front of you and still create the aesthetic that you've generated in the, in the design phase. Yeah. Who does your renderings? Is it someone within your car clubs? Yeah. So that's Ryan Ford. Um, he, uh, the Ford brothers put on the chopped festival in Victoria, uh, every year. And their dad is Eddie Ford of, of Australian hot rod publishing fame and notoriety. Um, and he's a wonderful artist and a good bloke, and he he does full color renderings um, for the sake of an agreed upon defined aesthetic with the client. But during construction, he also does a lot of wireframe drawings that just aid our um, design stages. Um, so he and I speak the same language so I can communicate to him what I want and give him notes as he sends me back stuff. And so I found it's easier to get a drawing out of him, um, from my description than it is for me to try to uh, do an illustration because for me, it'll take three times as long. Yeah. That's cool. Um, do you have any, any personal cars that you own yourself? Uh, yeah, more than a couple. Um, I famously never sell anything. Um, and so I, I'm very fortunate that I have some acreage just outside of Canberra, uh, not far from the shop, about 20 minutes away. And um, that means I have space. And I've got a big shed at home um, and outdoor space as well. So a lot of my stuff... <laughs> I've accumulated uh, out of farms and paddocks and whatnot, um, or old wrecking yards in the U.S. 
and so there's some outdoor storage but um yeah i've got a few i've got everything from a 1932 five window which is the oldest and probably the newest i have two 67s a chevy c10 and a cadillac eldorado and then in between there a bunch of ford and chevy stuff a lincoln um i've got one plymouth a belvedere um else i'm just looking around oh um, i'm currently working on my 1950 ford tudor um, we just dropped the blown 396 in it um and it's got a quick change and a turbo 400 in it and it's going to eventually be in car for nostalgia drags day of the drags possibly drag week or um drag challenge um it's it's been all those things before but with a small block combination so it's only being revised to run the big block um and make it a little more stable at high speed because it's a pretty wild ride through the traps <laughs> yeah. so yeah plenty of uh plenty of project cars eh <laughs> yeah my problem is i i don't have a lot of time so um i have more projects than i will probably ever get to but um for me that's the fun part the building um we're going to the hot rod and custom expo this year with two 36 fords under construction and a 32 ford five window which is mine um to do a sort of under construction display in nostalgia lane um, and we're also taking um uh, Dan Appleby's 1972 Riviera, the riverboat gambler, uh, for display in the lot in the big hall. That's the one that's already picked up um, top prizes at Summonats and all sorts of shows, right? Yeah, it won the inaugural um, top custom, the Mario Clio um, Memorial Award, top custom at um, Motorex in 2019. Um, and that was an important award for us because, and meaningful because uh, Mario was the first person who got me involved with Motorex. I invited a car when he was curating the, um, the custom display in, at Sydney before, before Motorex was no longer being held in Sydney. Um, and it, there's four elite level or pinnacle awards at Motorex and some 900 cars in judging and so I felt like it was a real important award for us and then the following year we won um, top mild custom there's a mild and wild category at Summonets top mild custom at Summonets that year um, we weren't actually going to be judged we were on the PPG stand um, to help out PPG because they've always helped us out. They're a wonderful uh, supplier. Um, and then Owen Webb uh, from Summonats came and said, oh, you can't have it here and not have it judged. So we entered it in judging and, and won top mild custom with it. So that was uh, a nice surprise. Awesome. Have you had any other iconic builds that have picked up prizes like that? Uh, that level award, um, not really, because it's you need the client to um, see it through. Um, we we 
have a car that's being stored at the moment, um, a 1951 Chevrolet, that's a, a build of that level. Um, and the client um, pumped the brakes uh, after the spend got a little out of hand. But um, he's a very enthusiastic guy, and every idea that he had or I had got incorporated, and we brought Gene Winfield out to paint the car. And so it has one of Gene's famous fadeaway paint jobs on it. Um, and I spoke to him recently. He wants to kick off again and, and finish the car. So it's probably the next thing that we'll see MotorX. Um, and then beyond that, the Bentley will probably be the next build at that level to, to go out into the world. Yeah. What's your um, what's your restoration process that you generally take? You said you, you dip vehicles. You, do you have a local dipper there? We don't... No, we send the cars to Sydney. Um, I've been using the same dipper... Um, at Blacktown Ready Strip for, for many years. Um, they're very methodical um, and very thorough. And some people don't like acid dip, but these guys uh, neutralize the cars very well. And then we go through a process when we get the car back where we go through every uh, nook and cranny and crevice um, is pumped full of, of rust converter encapsulator. Um, we spray into sills and posts and pillars um, with high pressure uh, wands so that um, the internal cavities that have not been exposed for, for metalwork uh, all get sealed and made inert. Um, and then we sand everything and epoxy prime um, uh, before moving on to the, the next stages. Um, we found that that way um, we clear out stuff, inaccessible stuff in the car uh, that you can't access with blasting. We were talking about um, this process yesterday, my, my boss and, my, and I, and we, it was just, yeah, it's daunting to know that it's good on one hand that you're clearing it out, but then on the other hand, you, you do feel like you're able to seal that after the process. Well, we do it on the rotisserie. So we do, we do the process four times over with gravity working for us in all four positions. Um, so yeah, we're confident. I mean, it, it depends on the build. We've got a 33 uh, Ford Tudor in the shop at the moment and it went for acid dip, but we separated every single pinch weld on the car and, and pulled the sills and opened the pillars. And um, there's no two pieces of sheet metal still touching that could be a rust trap in the car. And so a single body was broken into 101 pieces uh, for that process. Um, now, not everyone's budget will allow you to go that far, so you have to leave assemblies of the body intact. And we found this to be the most reliable way to get genuine longevity out of the, out of the work that you're doing on the car. Um, the thing is, the assembly out of the factory for most of these cars, those internal cavities have no um, protection. There's no painted finishes in there to, you know, abate the rust. Um, and you know that if the car has been blasted, the rust in those places, in those columns, pillars, sills, etc., 
has not been um, treated at all. And so the the horror the horror story that we try to avoid um, that you sometimes see is a ton of time and effort goes into body and pain. And then within a couple of years, let's pass through these areas that have not been exposed because it hasn't burst through before. But inside those cavities, it remains. Oh, we got so, a uh, we got a terrible sorry. we got a terrible line at the moment. Sorry, mate. How's it? I haven't moved, so it's just, I don't know what's going on. I might. I'll just quickly call you back. Is that all right? Lucky's been speaking. And we're back, and it's better. That's good. Okay. Wonderful. Sorry. So where did you lose me? Uh, just as you were, mate. Um, yeah, so we find that um, the amount of stuff that comes out of these cars, like you'd be amazed how much mud a car will collect up inside um an inaccessible space. Um, we just did a 32 Ford uh, chassis using all original Ford parts. Um, and the radius rods were solid packed, absolutely packed from end to end with mud. Um, the good thing about acid dipping is that it clears out all that stuff and gives you a chance of a fighting chance of, of making it rust proof and giving it you know, another 35 years of longevity. Yeah, I think it just, yeah, it comes down to budget, obviously, like you said, if there was an open checkbook, you're going to de-skin everything, and there's not always that option. That's right, that's right. Everyone's build, you know, has different parameters when you sit down and discuss um, at the beginning, and um, we try to give everyone, whether it's a blue-collar build or high-end, sh high um, top-shelf type uh, project, the the best chance of it lasting for, for into posterity and being passed down to their kids and still being in good condition because we've taken measures. Yeah, that's cool. And so back to your process, you you dip it, you've you've rust encapsulated all your seams and pinch welds, and then you're working on metal. And and is this prior to epoxy or post epoxy? Uh, typically the the early stages are a little bit of both. So we, we do major structural stuff or at least removal of, of areas that we know we're gonna be cutting away. Um, and uh, the preservative, the, it's a paint grip 253, I believe is the product. It's called, a, it's a Henkel product, um, Australian chemical company is what Ready Strip uses as a preservative when the cars come out of the dip. Um, and it buys us a bit of time to do some major uh, structural stuff. Um, so as we're not sanding and or priming a bunch of stuff, because we want to apply the primer straight over the car. We sand and detail sand everything for the best adhesion. Um, possible 
So we don't want to do that with sections of the car that we're going to cut away. Just a waste of time and materials. So we do a bit of initial major construction or major structural stuff. Um, at the same time, we're prepping detail sanding, etc. Um, and then there's a, an opportune moment and it depends on the car and how much work you're doing, where you get epoxy on everything. Um, and, and then we get into like a second plateau of, of metalwork. So the less major stuff that it, that it becomes time consuming and because it is time consuming to do all the detail metalwork, um, it's better to have it in epoxy uh, at that point. Um, then we go through uh, all the sheet metal processes and our trial fits. We start fitting stuff that we are reutilizing from the original car. Um, make sure it fits with any new work that we've done. And we start trial fitting our new, new parts and making accommodations. I think um, one of the biggest things about custom car building is packaging. So fitting everything in a place um, that's easy to maintain and work on, um, uh, that's that initial uh, metalwork stage allows for you to make variations and, and uh, accommodations for all that stuff. Um, when we're finished with our metalwork, we typically do a full fit up. We want to get the car together and on the ground make sure we haven't missed anything um, before we invest any time in, in paint preps. If it's a full chassis car, of course the chassis will have gone to the bench for its work. At that point, they need to come back together and make sure that everything is still working together. Um, and then everything gets blown apart and we start our processes for finishes on all kinds of stuff at the moment on those pickup trucks all the suspension components are being Cerakote coated. So we're detailing them in bare metal uh, to an incredibly high finish. So they'll present like painted parts, but with the ceramic coating. Um, we've detailed the engine blocks and the training cases for those trucks. Um, so they're smooth, like the bodywork on the outside of a car. They're going to reflect beautifully and um, take painted finishes the way you want, unlike uh, the casting flash and, and lumpy, bumpy sort of uh, finish that you'll often see on, on cast parts. Um, when it goes back together, um, we typically take a car through j jams in paint um, before finish slicing the primer on the outside of the car. So after the jams are in paint, we'll reassemble and regap and realign the car with rubbers in it so that our final sanding of the exterior envelope of the car will happen together. So we sand across all the gaps and, and get everything aligned uh, perfectly before applying paint on the outer envelope of the car. What, uh, uh, what blocks are you guys running in the shop there? Um, years and years ago, I, um, I had a conversation with Charlie Hutton when he was out for a PPG seminar, and we were talking about the blocks that he uses in the shop. And at, the at that stage, there wasn't really any, 
anyone commercially making sets of blocks that, you know, except for the soft blocks like a Durablock. Um, and he was making all his own splines and blocks out of plexiglass and spring steel and MDF, um, ABS, um, other plastics. Um, so for a long time, all the blocks in, in the shop were handmade. Um, and then we had Pete from Melomotive come and uh, do one of his splining courses in-house for all the boys. And we bought a couple of sets of his splines, of Melomotive splines at that point. And I've probably got four or five sets in the shop now that we use all the time. Um, but we also make a lot of blocks still to suit. The Riviera I made for the sills, I made a seven foot long block so we could sand into both wheel wells simultaneously. Um, and then the lower profile of the sill into the door sweep, we made spring steel folded and uh, slip rolled uh, blocks so we could perfect the same shape from front to back. Um, we typically don't use any soft face blocks until like final paint prep in 800 and um, we'll transition any little facets left from the hard face blocks out um, and radius all our edges um, but a hard face plastic spline is our go-to sanding solution um, and like i said melomotive makes a real nice set that we've got several of around the shop very nice and your top coating with uh you've touched a couple of times i'm uh, assuming you're going to recommend ppg on your builds yeah ppg it's a wonderful product um the the vibrance range they have really targeted custom paint but because they service collision work the systems are very complete and so there's not really any color that you could imagine that you can't match out of the full system. Um, but the vibrant stuff allows for a lot of fun, right? Their pearl powders and additives uh, and their clear is fantastic. Um, for we bury a lot of metal flake um, and the vibrance clear, um, you can just stack it on. Um, and then we can slice, slice and buff with the splines not buff with the splines, we can slice with the splines, our clear coats, um, and then go to our buffing processes. Uh, PPGs have already, um, have always been really good with their customer service. Like, if we've ever had technical issues, they come out, they get the chemists involved, they'll, they'll come on site, they bring you product and find a solution. Um, and considering we do inject stuff from outside, for custom finishes, um, them being there for that sort of uh, support is is really good. We do also play around. We use a lot of uh, paint huffer metal flake products, um, but just dry in the PPG system. Um, and I've had good luck with DNA's candies. They they seem very compatible with the PPG product line. Um, so if I want to introduce candy and we're using PPG product from top to bottom, I've been able to use the DNA without any kind of compatibility issue. 
and their candies are great. Um, and I love my metal metal flake and candies. So. So if you were putting um, a DNA candy on, will you will you run the DNA clear and then flow code it with PPG, or are you just banging PPG straight on it? Well, okay, so. I would typically put the DNA candy into the PVG color blender so that the bulk of the product is all the same system. Um, but DNA does do an inner coat clear that will float metal flake very well, keeps the metal flake in suspension. So it depends on, on what we're doing. If I'm drying, uh, sorry, blowing dry metal flake over something, I'll use all the PPG except for the metal flake. Um, if I'm using, uh, a flake that I want to lay down in clear so that it's not quite as dense. Um, we'll use the DNA inner coat. Like I said, even um, uh, we've had great success with the compatibility between the DNA and the PPG lines. Um, this we typically do testing for this kind of paint when we're doing candies and flakes and stuff. We'll We'll blow out tons of test panels and um, achieve what we want to achieve um, on the test panel so that this the experimentation is well behind us before we actually proceed to the car. Um, yeah, that way we, we don't get into trouble on on a car. Um, but like I said, we've over the years, I've found that those product lines working together have never given us any uh, pushback um, and so now it's very very reliable in-house system to, to get custom paint treatments on, on a car that's fantastic all right I think we might have to call this one part one I'd, I think I'd like to get you back on we can um, I want to follow those hybrid cars for sure in the Bentley so um, for one, thanks for coming on, Ben. Um, where can everyone buy some merch and where can they find Lucky? Okay, so our social media is probably the best place to go. Instagram is Lucky's underscore speed underscore shop. Um, there is a website, but it, it um, is being rebuilt at the moment. So the old website has, has, has ground down to a clunky sort of uh, inoperable uh, website. But there's a new website under construction, which is just luckyspeedshop.com. Um, as far as merch, the old website was our portal for merch, but I'm actually transitioning to a new company that does that handles all the stock for us, so that we don't have to keep stock of shirts in house. Um, and if you watch the Instagram, new new links will be coming up to to buy shirts and whatnot um, in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. It's good talking to you. Yeah, hopefully chat again soon. Very good. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye.